Hi, this is Karen Kelly, and you're listening to An Appetite for Life. There's a great mix on this show with various topics, amazing guests, and the occasional celebrity guest. So my guest today is award-winning photographer, John Colkin. He's also a physician, an educator, public speaker, and humanitarian. So welcome, John. It's great to have you on the show today. No, it's great to be here with you. Thanks very much for inviting me. So whereabouts in the world are you today? Uh, well, I'll have to look around me, but from what I can gather, I'm in the <laughs> Washington, D.C. area uh, right now. Um, COVID has kind of limited some of my travel, though I hope to be back in Bhutan and possibly India uh, in the spring of 2022. So we're here to talk about your book, Inner Harmony, Living in Balance. And this is a, a unique genre, isn't it? A groundbreaking collection of images and explores how and why Buddhist practices have come to inspire and enlighten people worldwide. It's also been honoured by the International Photography Awards with second place in its professional book documentary. Congratulations. So can you share with us a little about the book and, and why Buddhism? Sure. Well, uh, great questions. And um, first, uh, what I would like to say is that, and one of the things that His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, has said to me and to many others, is that um, even though there are some Buddhist practices that may be of value to people, regardless of whether they're in the East or the West, the reality is that there's some foundational principles to any spiritual um, belief system, and even those who are maybe atheists that are universal. So the concepts that are explored in the book are actually universal. They're relevant to all of us. It's just yeah, maybe put sure. in a different format that people aren't used to seeing it in. So the book actually it consists of photographs that I've uh, taken over 13 years while doing primarily humanitarian work as a physician in under-resourced countries uh, throughout Asia. So the photographs were taken in 10 different countries um, during, gosh, I don't know how many trips, um, 17, 21 trips, something like that. Um, and what I was trying to do was um, share with others um, some of these fundamental concepts um, so the book is actually uh, broken down into 18 chapters, and rather than the traditional approach of a lot of photography books where it's related to a geographic location, um, each of the chapters uh, focuses on one of the uh, fundamental building blocks for living a more balanced life regardless of where you are in the world. As an example, um, compassion for the environment, um, how to remain calm in difficult situations, the importance of uh, wisdom, and on and on and on. So um, the photographs are really uh, pulled together into each of those chapters to let the uh, people that are viewing the book get immersed in the imagery and in the experience and get a, uh, a human connection to what's going on. And you know, for our listeners um, who haven't purchased the book yet, I've got the book in front of me. 
And just looking at those images, I have to say, you do feel at peace and you do feel tranquil because they really are beautiful black and white images. But there was a reason for them being black and white, wasn't there? Yeah, there really was. Um, typically, I'm also a, a, a bit of a scientist and as a physician, I want to look at the science of how the brain works and how the heart works. And the reality is that if we see colors, we tend to focus a lot of us more on the color. Yeah. Whereas what I'm looking at is the emotion of what's going on on the inside, not the superficial on the outside. So that's why I've done this series in black and white. Um, and when I exhibit in museums or art galleries, the photographs were done as palladium prints, which is a very rich old technique from the 1800s, which really brings out the warmth and texture of what it is that I'm trying to communicate. For those that do like color, though, there are 20 photographs in color, and that's because Tanus, the publisher in Germany, who's one of the world's leading publishers of photography books, um, has an audience that really enjoys also color photography. So um, I, uh, at their request, put also some color photographs in the book. Yeah, but they really are absolutely gorgeous in black and white, though. You really do get the essence of, 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 their, of, of their practice. So part of your research was you spent a week in a monastery. So what was that like? Because don't they meditate for approximately eight hours a day? Yeah, well, so um, each of the um, uh, photographs that I've taken um, are done after I'm in a situation where I'm immersed in the local environment, in the community. So these are not, um, and there's nothing wrong with tourism and taking photographs on the run, but um, I'm living with these uh, people for extended periods of time. When I'm doing my humanitarian work, as an example, I may be in one city for anywhere from a week to six weeks, and I'm, I'm embedded into a teaching hospital setting, uh, working and exchanging ideas with the physicians and nurses and therapists there. So since they understand that I'm also a photographer, um, what they tend to do is introduce me to um, the local community, and it might be in a nunnery or a, a monastery or whatever. And as a result, I'm uh, gradually over many, many days or even weeks, sometimes given the honor of photographing. Um, so I'm immersed in the environment and that's why there's the emotion in the imagery. It's because the people know me already. So none of the images are staged. There's no flash. There's uh, no tripod. Um, everything is just as is. So after a while I'm blending into the background and they don't, they, they don't even notice that you're there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's were, really the, were they quite reluctant at first for you to get, you know, quite close to their, you know, their community? Absolutely. Um, and that's where building up um, a, uh, a history of, I guess you would say, credibility comes from, because uh, um, what happens is a lot of times they've been, let's say they've been burned um, yeah. by uh, people coming in and taking advantage of a situation. But um, 
because as an example, I might give, uh, do an exhibition somewhere and or have a relationship with a, a nun in the United States who happens to know that I'm uh, going to Myanmar and I'll be working at a hospital and might know a uh, nun that meditated for 13 years at this particular retreat. Um, wow. Uh, even though that nun has then moved on and gone to Paris, then she introduces me to that nun in Paris, who then introduces me to the people at the that the retreat in the remote forest of Myanmar, where they're meditating eight and a half hours a day. And then I get permission to come and stay there um, with rules, obviously, about yeah. what I can and can't do. And I don't photograph to shoot, shoot, shoot. I'm in a contemplative uh, state myself. So I'm taking very few photographs when I'm in these types of environments. What I found quite eye-opening was um, quite a lot of the images. You've got children also playing football, playing cricket. You've got a couple you can see on a mobile phone. And it could be my ignorance, but I actually thought that with Buddhism, desire was the cause of suffering. So I was a little confused at that, really. Can you explain that to us and how it's acceptable, if you like, for the Buddhist to, to have westernized um, experiences? Well, a couple of things. Uh, number one is they're human beings. Of course, yeah. They have the same um, uh, struggles and desires as everyone else. What they've been able to do or what is taught in general, and again, you don't want to take Buddhism and put it all under one roof, uh, other than the general foundational principles, there are a lot of differences between one school of Buddhism and another, but they really recognized a reality. And the reality is that in order to be healthy, as an example, you can't just sit and meditate all day. Um, in fact, in uh, Eastern Asia, they mostly do walking meditation. They don't sit when they meditate. So there are different strokes for different folks. And in fact, my form of meditation is while I'm swimming laps. Yeah, um, yeah I totally so, get that. Yeah, so, so they, they have a full life. Uh, they're running around, they've got to let off steam. So they play, play cricket and roll around and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Not crazy, but they do a variety of yeah, things. Yeah, lots of fun stuff. Yeah, and that's part of life balance. Um, and uh, so that's, that's the reality of life. Also, um, it's inevitable that some of the Western cultures uh, can, uh, can get in, infiltrated into their lives, whether they wanted to or not. So the question is not, do we have cell phones or do we have computers, but what's our purpose of using them? What's their function? And can we be clear about where the value might be in having a cell phone versus where it can be destructive? Yeah, because I know um, in one of the images, I think it was uh, navigating their pathways in that section of the book and a young boy watched a film regarding a tsunami and of course, not used to being open to that kind of thing he actually thought oh my god when did that happen is it real so he couldn't you know differentiate between the two because he wasn't used to being exposed yeah yeah it was a movie it was a uh, action-packed movie where there's a tsunami that wipes out the the west coast of uh, california yeah and it was movie night at this remote buddhist um, monastery at twelve thousand feet up in the himalayas in bhutan and, uh, you know, we're all hanging out and watching it. And, you know, one of the boys 
came up to me afterwards and said, when did that happen? When did that happen? How sweet is that? How lovely is that? Well, I wanted to ask you, actually, because, yes, your experience of um, getting to the monastery 12,000 feet high. What was that experience like? Well, um, so first of all, one needs to be careful about one's own health. So one has to be get acclimated to the altitude in the quote in the valley, which is still at 8000 feet for a few days before going up. And it's just exhilarating being up there. Um, I've gone up to um, this one uh, remote temple where there's a, a caretaker that's been there for 17 years in the Himalayas and um, Bhutan. That's up at 15,000 feet. That's more than halfway up Mount Everest. Um, but I just, you know, pace myself and um, it's exhilarating and you're just up there and, you know, wake up in the morning and, uh, the clouds are below you. <laughs> Amazing. I can't imagine. So how long did it take you to, to get to this particular monastery? Um, well, what I do is I, a lot of times I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll stop off at my favorite monastery in the world, which is the Fajiting Monastery in Bhutan, which that's the one that's at 12,000 feet that you were mentioning previously. And I'll spend the night there. Yeah. And, um, For a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For a break, just and hang out with them and, and then, and then I do the rest of the summit climb, you know, the next day, what can get people in trouble is trying to um, uh, go up a, a mountain too quickly. That's when you get into altitude sickness and pulmonary edema and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, in the book, there's just one um, chapter. There's only one chapter where I actually talk about a physical location, and that's the Fajiting Monastery, because it kind of encompasses or encapsulates all of what I'm talking about in the book about all the fundamentals put together that are necessary in order to live a more balanced life. Yeah. And of course, um, it must have been quite challenging. You must have the odd storm, did you, while you were that high, being above the clouds? And of course, the paths are rather narrow, aren't they, around the monastery with a massive drop on the other side? Yeah, you've got to be careful. You've got to be cognizant. But, you know, uh, one of the things I use walking sticks, um, which helps me a lot. Um, and uh, I think probably one of the bigger things people have to worry about is in the, uh, particularly up in the mountains, is during the springtime, the, the mother bears have their cubs. And if you're walking along a path and the mother happens to be on one side and the cubs on the other side of the path as you're going through, then you can, you can get attacked. And wow. that. <laughs> gracious. The other one is the yaks. The yaks are there in the Himalayas and um, getting gored by a yak happens also. And, um, working in the hospital, we would see people that were, you know, injured by um, bears and yaks, but the national sport of Bhutan is archery. And um, that's quite a story in and of itself, but um, they're shooting these, these arrows uh, across the length of a, uh, of a football field. I'm saying the soccer slash football field, more than a hundred meters long and to the small target. And they're, the guys on their team are there next to the target where they're shooting toward using a handmade bow and arrow and they jump out of the way at the last second if the arrow seems like it's off target while they're drinking beer um, that's about 12 percent alcohol gosh oh my so, goodness so john we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a few minutes time great 
Let me introduce our sponsor, Everything Genetic Limited, specialists in preventative healthcare testing, helping people to identify to see if they are at risk of developing common hereditary cancers and heart conditions. Based in Nantwich, Cheshire, they partner with some of the UK's market-leading laboratories, supplying revolutionary genetic tests to healthcare providers and patients for the detection, diagnosis and treatment planning of cancer, heart disease and other illnesses. One of their main aims is to democratise genetic testing, meaning everyone can take control of their own well-being and healthcare to detect any problems at an early stage when they are most treatable. They also offer a COVID testing service which is on the government list, initially launched to support clinical partners who were unable to get patients in during the pandemic. This service enables patients to come back into clinics to resume all important cancer testing and is available through over 200 partner companies. They offer a comprehensive range of coronavirus COVID-19 test kits and services for individuals, healthcare providers and employers. For more information, visit their website, everythinggeneticlimited.co.uk. Welcome back to the show where we're talking to John Colkin about his fabulous book, Inner Harmony, Living in Balance. So John, just talking about your experience in the monasteries, what made me smile was you were invited for dinner and you took a bunch of flowers. And of course, it wasn't something that was quite frowned upon because they quite like to leave the flowers to to live in harmony like like everybody else so that everyone can enjoy them. Yeah. And actually what, what happens is in this uh, this particular episode was in Bhutan. And um, when I am in other countries, uh, whether it's China or uh, I was photographing in, in Myanmar and Cambodia and India and everywhere else, Typically, um, what you one would do is be invited by a physician, and the physician's spouse would often spend days preparing food. Um, so, uh, when going, I always like to bring uh, a gift, and a it's gift, yeah, spouse. yeah. But in this particular case, um, I was invited and uh, into a doctor's home in Bhutan. And um, I asked a woman in the street, you know, I don't see any cut flowers anywhere. Where can I get some cut flowers? And she, in a very kind way, said, um, we don't like to cut the flowers. We like to leave them outside where everyone can enjoy them. I love that. It's so true, though, isn't it? We don't realize they do die. They don't last very long, but we like to see them around the house. But when you think of it like that, it made me stop and think when I read that in the book. The, the reason I, I, I had that in the book was that we all have our own um, traditions or what we're used to and what yeah. we think is the normal, but the book is trying to get people um, through the short stories and, and the short poems and then the imagery to maybe step back a little bit and reflect a little bit about maybe, maybe I'm looking at this in a way and I could maybe kind of rethink a little bit. Yeah. Um, just as an example, I have a photograph there that's a, 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 a sketch that was made of, of uh, an animal slash that was half dog and half pig. And it says on the top, why do we love one yet eat the other? Yeah, well, no. if, living in v if you're in Vietnam, back when I was there in the 1990s doing humanitarian work, you know, they had to eat dogs. They didn't have much other option. You know, they were starving. Um, so we can't impose our 
our belief systems, whatever they might be and wherever they might come from, on others. We have on to others, be yeah. Well, at the same time, being somewhat strong about our convictions and, and articulating uh, our, our feelings, but doing it in a compassionate way that we also understand other people's perspective. Um, yeah. And that's the only way we're going to make any progress in the world. So the book is really trying to, it's not about just about the photographs. It's about, you know, I, I hope people will go back to the book over and over again and sit with an image, sit with a, a passage, do some reflection and really get something of depth out of the experience. That's really what it's all about. And that's why I did the what I love about your images is that they offer an insight into the principles that can enhance our ability to live a less stressful, more balanced life, regardless of one's spiritual path. And I love the 24 stones explanation for this. Can you can you expand on that for us? Sure. Well, the reality is, whether we uh, like it or not, is that we only have 24 hours in the day. And because of that, if you take, as an example, 24 stones, I, I ask people to consider each stone as one hour in their day and be real honest, put them in piles. I try to do this. Yeah. I was thinking about, sorry, before I went to bed, but I was thinking about this. It's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Just put them in piles about the different categories, about where am I spending my day now? And a and, uh, little um, heads up, we all need seven to nine hours of sleep that's the cornerstone of good health. As a physician, I keep saying that for physical and emotional health, we all need that, whether Definitely. you like it. So if we take that into consideration about where we're spending our time, not that everything has to be super productive, we need downtime, but how much downtime do we really need for being on social media as an example? Uh, should we be, if, what are our values? Our values our principal two or three main values should drive our priorities, our goals, our decisions throughout the day. And if they're not, then we're not being true to ourselves. So if you don't know what your values are, then you're not going to be making much progress toward living a balanced, more happy, fulfilling life with greater well-being. So let's say that you're looking at those stacks of, of stones and you recognize that, gee, I've got a lot of stones in this particular pile. Um, can I take one of those stones, cut it into quarters, and just take 15 minutes out of a stone twice a week to do that one little thing that I really like to do, whether it's um, uh, drawing, or whether it's playing an instrument, or whether it's writing, or whether it's a walk um, in the park, uh, or out in the field, or whether it's having a real connection conversation with someone I love, you know, whatever it might be, can I at least do that a quarter of a stone twice a week? Set yourself up for success, not failure. Don't say, I'm going to take an hour every single day for the next 365 days. Uh, just set yourself up for success. Try that first. So that's what the 24 stones is all about. I mean, in the when I first read that, I was thinking, I need more stones. There's not enough stones because we all say there's not enough hours in the day, don't we? Yeah, exactly. But the reality is, again, if you step back and look at things realistically, we all have 15 minutes twice a week that we can dedicate to ourselves. And the reason why is that important? Because um, in order for us to live a balanced life, to have fewer uh, emotional and physical illnesses, 
in order to live a less stressful life, we have to live a full life that's in line with our values. And I've been very, very fortunate in throughout my entire life to be able to stumble upon the reality of following that path fairly well. And it has allowed me to um, be able to share some of my experiences with others and hopefully be somewhat constructive. I do think that we're all kind of learning more now we're being taught how the importance of well-being and to take a breath and to take a step back and to look after ourselves as a priority so I think we are we want we all seem to be more educated on that now and certainly putting ourselves first because what you do notice even on social media people openly will say I'm taking a break from social media I'll be back in a few days that wouldn't have been heard of many years ago so it is catching on isn't it now one thing I wanted to ask you John I know on some of your other works you, you um create maybe exhibitions in themes and you've got a theme I think it's called equilibrium series mm -hmm. and there's a picture on there it's blurred the boundary between sky water and earth and it's a wave abstract a wave abstract on a rock and I'm not sure if it's supposed to be in there but I made out a person sitting on the rock mm -hmm. now it's not obvious but the more I stared at that image and it I thought, my God, there's the balance. It was, it was, it was beautiful. And I wanted to bring it up because I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be a person in there because it, it's not obvious when you first look. One of the wonderful things for me is listening rather than talking. When I'm having an exhibition somewhere, um, what I like to do is go into the exhibition and not tell anybody who I am. And Sneaky. listen to what people have to say, <laughs> because I learn more yeah, by listening people. to others than hearing myself talk. So what your impression is, is exactly what I'm trying to do, which is to open up the experience for everyone to interpret things in the way that resonates the most with them. So that's why the inner harmony images are that um, kind of contemplative experience uh, and why all my bodies of work tend to not be something you just put on the wall just because the color scheme looks good. <laughs> yeah, it's got to really mean something to you and you're going to you know, get something out of that image kind of thing. Yeah. So, John, how did you get into photography? Because you're a physician, you're also a musician. So why photography? What, what led you into that industry? Sure. Well, um, first of all, we have we all are born with our um, intrinsic uh, learning uh, styles, and uh, sixty or so percent of people are visual learners, um, auditory and uh, um, um, tactile, and others are much much less. So I've always been a visual learner. I've always communicated in the visual, um, and 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 interacted with people in that way in uh in compare in comparison to the visual skills or that i tend to be drawn toward i always had great difficulty with reading and in fact when i was a child i had to have a special tutor because i i couldn't read yes i read that yes so i was probably dyslexic but they didn't know it at that time yeah. and my parents took me for works or ink blot tests and all so um so i've always been visual and so i naturally gravitated toward a camera um and uh i will i always have just been the one in the family that that carried the camera around 
Um, my father actually was that way uh, somewhat also. Um, he uh, was stationed in Germany right after World War II and um, bought a lot of darkroom equipment. So he had that though. I never really got any training with him, but so part of it's genetic. Um, so so what I, growing up, I was always interested in the visual. At the same time, I was always a, um, interested in music. So I played the clarinet and um, was honored to be selected as a member of the American Youth Symphony that toured uh, Western Europe. Uh, wow. 10 countries uh, in the UK, we did a number of concerts in the UK. That was my first international exposure. Um, and uh, so that's always been a part of me. And also I was always very much into uh, athletics, um, track in particular, and you know various um, uh, accomplishments. Whatever. Which is how you managed to do the 12,000 foot hike as well, I guess. It helped. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've always stayed relatively in shape. But my point is that I was also into academics. Um, and I never felt the need growing up to fit into anyone's category. Yeah. I didn't have to be, I didn't care if I was a jock or not, or, you know, the, the nerd group, or it didn't matter to me whatsoever. So I didn't pay attention to what anybody else was doing. Honestly, yeah. I just followed my nature. So I think that's also part of the concept of life balance um, is know intrinsically what makes you whole and don't multitask, but find ways of realistically engaging in those things that make you whole. Even if it's just a matter, as I said before, with the 24 stone rule, if you like to draw, gosh, for golly, go ahead and do it at least 15 minutes twice a week and then see where it takes you. Yes. And that's what happened with my photography. And actually, um, my music is the thing that got me into medical school and got me into residency um, because it was so unique compared to the other people that were trying to get into those competitive programs that the people that were making the selections um, recognized that. And I can go into the stories about how that happened Um but, uh, but it was because of my music background that I got into medical school and I got into my residency. You really are such an inspiration and you've led such an interesting life. And it's been amazing talking to you today, John. So for our listeners, where can we buy this fabulous book? And um, I believe that it is printed in the UK as well. So it's widely available in the UK. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, so first of all, um, it's available through all the major distributors, Amazon and whatnot. The, um, the warehouse is in the UK where a, a number of the English version editions are available. They're shipping some more over to the United States by boat. So hopefully they'll get here. Um, <laughs> by boat. Wonderful. Run out. Um, uh, so those are different ways of getting the book. Um, uh, also, um, I do have some copies. People are, if people are having difficulty finding them, they're welcome to contact me through my website, which is Colkin, uh, K O L K I N photography.com, uh, colkinphotography.com, and there's inquiry. Also, if people want to just get in touch with me about other things, maybe they're working on a photography project, or I'm also an integrated medicine health coach. So if people are wanting to talk about life balance and all that, I'm happy to do that and I don't charge anything. Also, people Brilliant. should yeah. Also, people should know that the book, the the money that I receive from book sales, a hundred percent of it goes to two nonprofits. One 
that teaches compassion to children for free worldwide school curriculum K through 12. Um, and the other is uh, a nonprofit that empowers disadvantaged women. So um, that's where the money that I receive from book sales goes. Um, and uh, if people get books directly from me, I'll send them a signed copy and 100% of the money that they pay for the book will go toward that. If they buy it through a regular distributor or their local bookstore, um, yeah, assuming they can get them that way, then um, a smaller portion goes to the, um, uh, to the nonprofits. But anyway, uh, that people can enjoy the book would be great. And um, uh, the nonprofits uh, will, nonprofits will appreciate um, anybody's interest also. And also a number of people are buying multiple books, uh, not just for themselves, but for a family member. The gifts as well. It's Christmas time, isn't it? It'd be, it'd be a great, great gift for any family member. The, the pictures are absolutely stunning. And I really do wish you all the best with Inner Harmony, Living in Balance. And I wish you all the best for the future. Well, thanks very much. And I wish you the best also. And don't hesitate reaching out to me uh, as needed. I uh, try to be available to people. And um, I wish you and all your listeners well as we get into the holiday season. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Same to you. You've been listening to my podcast, Appetite for Life, also supported by sponsor Dane Bank House Dental Practice, where happiness starts with a smile. Would you like to be a guest on this show? Or maybe you're interested in a sponsorship package. For any further information, you can find me across various social media platforms as Karen Kelly Podcasts or send me an email, karenenderkelly at btinternet.com.